Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, November 27th. Canadian grocery giant Sobeys says it will freeze price increases in grocery stores between November and January 2024. But will this make any difference for those struggling with food insecurity? We get reaction from Sylvain Charlebois, professor and director at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Could the amount of belly fat you're carrying around be an indicator as to your likelihood of developing dementia? We get details on an interesting new study on the topic from Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, sometimes it feels like our identities are partly tied up in what we do for a living. So how can we successfully adapt when we're no longer at a job that has defined us for years or even decades? We catch up with the Calgary-based authors of a new book that explores the transition between being gainfully employed to retirement or unexpected job loss. Food bank use is at record levels across the country, and it's really no surprise. The cost of essential goods, food particularly, continues to outpace annual wage growth. Joining us to talk about the issues around food insecurity and food prices is Sylvain Charlebois, Professor and Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Good morning, Professor. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Uh, According to a recent Stats Canada report, one in three Canadians are currently living in a household that's experiencing financial hardship and facing difficulties paying for necessary monthly expenses, including food and personal items. Are we seeing any relief yet at the grocery store, Sylvain? Are those food items, the prices starting to come down at all to help us out? Well, yeah, actually, if you look at uh, the data uh, that was released last week by Statistics Canada, again, uh, you'll find out that uh, all food categories are actually cheaper compared to September, uh, with the exception of bakery. Uh, Every other section of the grocery store is getting a little cheaper. We're actually getting some relief in many parts uh, of the grocery store, obviously, uh, we've seen prices increase significantly over the last couple of years. So uh, even though prices are, are are dropping a little bit, it doesn't mean that people are actually seeing it. Uh, they're still feeling a lot of pressure. And, of course, uh, shelter costs have gone way up for everyone. Uh, rents are up. Uh, mortgage payments are up. And so that's why a lot of people are are um, are facing that real pressure when going to the grocery store. So a case maybe not so much that the food is, is uh, the biggest kick in the pants right now, but it's it's life in general, Sylvain? It's a perfect storm. I mean, uh, when you look at the cost of living, and that's why there, in Ottawa there's a lot of focus on the cost of living issue. Yes, uh, food prices are an issue, but at the end of the day, people have less money to spend on food, and that's why it's been so difficult for many. What do we think will cost us the most at Christmas dinner, for example, this year? Are we seeing anything better in terms of, of the meat or, you know, where might we see a little bit of a, an impact to the, to the benefit of us? Actually, on Friday, we're releasing a a mini report on uh, holiday budgeting uh, for food. And so we'll actually lay out exactly how much you should be spending for your traditional holiday dinner and what are the alternatives uh, on top of that. So if you think that, say, turkey is too expensive, you actually do have alternatives. So we'll actually lay out all the costing uh, on Friday, on December 1st. 
Also, as we get close to the holiday season, that uh, Christmas baking is uh, mm-hmm. ramping up for, for many households and many wannabe baking champions. <laughs> we watch a lot of those TV shows. Uh, yeah. But the sugar shortage, showing, uh, throwing a bit of a wrinkle into this, uh, can you tell us about the sugar shortage, what's behind it, and do we see relief in sight? Yeah, so I was in Alberta uh, last week, and I was actually, I'm returning to Alberta this week again. Uh, I'm going to Red Deer, and uh, I did notice, yeah, sugar inventories are uh, much lower due to that strike in Vancouver. Uh, That plant in Vancouver is really critical for the prairies. And so we are expecting uh, that, that labor dispute to continue, unfortunately, for a while. And so uh, it's going to be it's going to become more difficult for for people to get sugar. My guess is that uh, grocers may actually look down south to get some sugar into Canada, but I expect that sugar to be a little bit more expensive. Ouch, that's going to hurt. I do love my uh, Christmas baking. Um, How can Canadians (laughs) help with what's going on? You know, in our various communities, how can we help make things better? You know, maybe we've got a few extra bucks. Is there something we can do particularly, would you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there is one promotion that will start on November 28th. and Well, actually tomorrow from November 28th to December 1st. it's the beginning of giving uh, Tuesday, which is tomorrow. Canes can actually simply add a gift box to their card. If you actually shop uh, at uh, using Skip Express Lane, you can just click for free uh, the uh, the gift box icon, and uh, each gift box is valued about fifty dollars, and that gift will be sent to Food Banks Canada. So uh, that's certainly one thing that people can do starting tomorrow until Friday. And uh, it will be very much appreciated by, by people who actually are in need. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Helping out. So we've covered a lot of ground when it comes to holidays and uh, the current yeah. prices out there. Uh, now, Sylvain, it's time to put on your prediction cap and uh, <laughs> let's look into 2024. I know a lot of folks would like to, you know, do the snap of the fingers and make everything okay. I'm guessing that's not the case. What do you see in the next 12 months ahead? Well, uh, on December 7th, we're releasing Canada's food price report. So, uh, and I'm sure, I mean, last year, I remember uh, we spoke together, uh, or perhaps you spoke to one of our co-authors. Mm-hmm. And so our annual report, our forecast for 2024 is coming out on December 7th. So stay tuned. And hopefully that can uh, help us as we head towards the new year and uh, maybe things will start to get better as well. Thank you so much, as always, for your time. Really appreciate it, Sylvain. My pleasure. Thank Take you. Sylvain Charlebois, Professor and Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. It is pricey out there. Could our physical appearance be an early indicator for a risk of developing dementia? Well, according to a new study, that may just be the case. To talk about the research, we're joined this morning by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. New study based on the belly fat of participants who took part. Can you explain how the researchers essentially use our waistline as a predictor? Yeah, so it's a very interesting study. Some of the information we know of, but the spin on it or where they went with this is quite unique. So they looked at 40 to 60-year-old individuals and they looked at how much belly fat they had and then looked at their brains to see if was there any plaque. The plaque they were looking for is called amyloid and that's what would give you Alzheimer's in the future. So the more amyloid deposits you see, the more likely you are to get uh, Alzheimer's dementia. And of course, what did they find? The more visceral fat you have, uh, 
And we'll talk about what visceral fat is, the more likely you have amyloid deposits, even at age 40 to 50, which is very young. So this could be a predictor of future Alzheimer's if we know how much visceral fat we have. Okay, so uh, under the fat, this sounds horrible. Under the fat umbrella, uh, Dr. J, <laughs> yeah. where does visceral fat land and what makes it unique? So visceral fat, so if you pinch your belly, you're going to feel what we call subcutaneous fat. That's the fat that's just under the skin. And we all have it, and it's healthy, and it's good. It's our storage. keeps us alive if we were to uh, not be able to get food, etc. Visceral fat is is, un, is actually around the intestines. Now, as part of my career way back, I used to do a lot of surgical assisting. And if you do belly surgery, you see this actual fat. It's all wrapped around the intestine. It's all internal. This is fat, so it's sort of invisible to some degree. But typically, people, the more visceral fat you have, the bigger your belly is. If you just look at yourself, it makes somebody's waistline a lot larger. But that visceral fat is actually very active. It shows uh, or uh, has a lot of messaging. Is what we uh, what uh, can be inflammatory. It can cause uh, insulin resistance or type two diabetes. It can cause heart disease, cancers. It's a really really nasty fat, different than subcutaneous fat, which is not good, but seems to be much less problematic in in sending messages that are negative to our body. Is this type of fat, Dr. J, you know, does it apply to both men and women or do we have have the same fat and the same amounts of fat or or, are either sex different when it comes to that belly fat? So um, we both have it, uh, both uh, both genders, uh, but men seem to be more, uh, it's more problematic in men than in women. Uh, and the uh, dimensions are different. So if we looked at the difference with genders, if we were going to play the gender role here, uh, for men, we will allow up to 40 inches on the waistline circumference, uh, and for women, only 35. So uh, men uh, can have a little bit more of a waistline and get away with it, uh, women less so. But men seem to have more visceral fat and seem to be more, it, it seems to be more problematic for guys than it is for women. Do our genetics play any role, Dr. J, in visceral yeah. fat and holding on to it? Yeah, very much. So so as much as lifestyle can really help decrease visceral fat, and, uh, and this is very much a lifestyle story, like we do need to be very careful with what we eat. We do need to exercise, and those help greatly. We do need to watch our alcohol intake. The beer belly is real here. Uh, but there are genetics here. So uh, people of an Asian origin can have much more visceral fat than um, Caucasian, Black, Hispanics, which is fascinating that there is a genetic here. And and in the Asian uh, world, sometimes people do not look, they do not have a waist circumference that's that large. And some people believe we should use different dimensions for uh, Asian background than we should use for for, say, Caucasian population because of that. So you can be skinny with internal fat, so even harder for, for that genetic. Dr. J, I mean, just kind of stepping back, how does our our fat gut translate to what's going on in our brain? So it's all about messaging. So that visceral fat is a very active fat, sending all kinds of messages, and most of which are very, very negative. So it actually can, uh, the biggest thing is through insulin resistance. 
So if we uh, have insulin resistance, all kinds of metabolic things start to happen and the pathways start to lead to inflammation. That inflammation leads to, if you want to think of amyloid, almost like scar tissue. If I inflame something, it tries to heal itself up. It heals itself up with, with scar tissue-like material, that being amyloid. So if you scar up your brain enough, it eventually, all the, the networks or the wiring starts to get messed up with, I get demented because of that. Wow, interesting stuff. Uh, as far as what our family physician can do, and I know we've heard about fantastical drugs like Ozempic helping to, you know, uh, trim off the fat. Is there any drugs that people can use to combat this sort of thing, or is it just the good old-fashioned hitting the gym and watching our diets? It's probably both, and it, it depends on degree. If somebody uh, is more in that mild to moderate obesity range, this is lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. If you're in the actually moderate, severe uh, degree where you have a lot of uh, visceral fat, a lot of uh, your waist circumference is very, very large. This might be pharmacologic um, help. Um, and, it, you know, the Ozempic or that whole category is only one of many, many things that can be done pharmacologically. So I think it's all about degree, uh, but you put it all together and go for it uh, because, um, yeah, this is one more you know, nail in the coffin of bad news that we're receiving about uh, fat and and its messaging and how negative it really is. Quite literally, too. I, that's fascinating. It's a really interesting study. Thank you so much for breaking it down, Dr. J. Always appreciate your time. You betcha. Thank you, Dr. Ted Jablonski is our on-call family physician. Trish Exton-Parter and Corrine Wilkinson both know what it's like to lose a job that had become part of their identity. So how do you find yourself and your purpose when you're forced to move on to the next phase? The two have come together and written a book about their personal experiences in hopes of helping others that are on a similar journey. We say good morning to co-authors of It's Just a Hiccup, Trish Exton-Parter and Corrine Wilkinson. Good morning, ladies. Thanks so much for coming in. Good morning good, to both of you. Yes, good morning. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Trish, we'll start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience that was so life-changing. Well, I was at the zoo for about 35 years in media relations and communications. And when I made the decision, a tough decision, to retire after so many years, I found myself in a place that I really didn't expect to. And I was it's kind of a, a feeling where you didn't want to bring people in on it because it didn't feel like something hugely traumatic and yet it was quite debilitating. I really didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. I had been Trish from the zoo, not Trish mm -hmm. Exton Parter, for so many years, and everywhere you would go, and, and whether you were meeting new people or connecting with colleagues or friends, it seemed to be the topic of discussion, what's going on at the zoo, and so it became so much a part of my identity. And it was crippling. All of a sudden, I didn't know what I needed to jump into, who was, who was waiting for me to appear somewhere else, what was I gonna do next? And it was just a very lost feeling for a while. Yeah. And Corrine, I mean, uh, you are a co-author as well, and uh, something must have led you to the book and, and putting pen to paper. Tell us about your experience. It, it, uh, the feeling was very similar. It was after a layoff from a position, and um, you, you didn't really have a lot of time to think about things. In fact, hardly any time to think about things. And you wake up the next morning, and you're like, oh, Oh, now what? Yeah. <laughs> you just, you don't even know if you, if you have that identity anymore. So um, when Trish was talking about retiring from the zoo, I said, well, that's very similar from being laid off. And um, same kind of feeling and lost and wondering what you're going to do next. And in my case, um, it, I had really wound so tightly my work career with my social life, like all your work mm -hmm. colleagues become mm -hmm. your friends. And so it felt like you lost 
two things at once, right? Absolutely. I love the line, there's more to you than a job title, because I can totally relate to both of you what you're saying. I've lived that experience too. And it really, it's, it's devastating at the beginning, right? Before you can figure out what comes next. So how long did it take both of you to kind of truly accept that it's okay, there's more to me than just that. How long? Was it a lot of talking between the two of you, Trish? Well, I think so. I mean, Karine and I were actually volunteering together with a, an, an organization called Dreams Take Flight, and that's how the conversation started. And both of us looking at each other thinking, wow, you know, I think we've got a lot of similar feelings on this journey. And um, I think what it took was, first of all, relating to somebody else who was willing to share and to go, you know what, if we're also feeling this kind of lost space and perhaps other people might mm-hmm. want to, you know, understand and relate to what we're, we're experiencing now. And um, I think when, when you started to um, venture into some other opportunities and people would actually still reach out to you for advice or um, some wisdom on something that you had, had been involved in before, it started to feel like, okay, you know, maybe there are other things out there. And, uh, and more, maybe I'm more than just that job. Mm. Well, that's it. Right? Exactly. It. It's, it's what are the things that I brought to the table in my, my previous job? And you sort of forget what you did before, which is sort of, because <laughs> yeah. I, oh, yeah, that's right. I did 35 years at a, <laughs> at a job. I don't have to all of a sudden recreate myself, but I became frantic and felt like, you know, I really need to have all the answers right away. Wow. And it's interesting sitting across from you two ladies in the sense that in high school, we have a guidance counselor help us choose a career path. (laughs) And at the same time, uh, how to make a resume, how to apply for jobs. We have references. But on the other side, whether it comes to losing a job or choosing to retire, I don't recall any preparation for this whatsoever during my education. Um, uh, What are the resources like out there? And are there any other materials like the book? Um, It's just a hiccup. What did you folks find when you moved out of your roles uh, in your careers? I feel like I just kind of wandered myself for quite a while, right? And just um, because exactly as Trish said, you kind of forget that you have all this knowledge and expertise because all of a sudden you're not that person at that role anymore. So that was a big part of what Trish and I talked about is maybe there were resources. I I didn't seek them out. I didn't particularly look I just thought oh come on just shake it off you'll get you'll be fine get over this right and um so that was that was part of a big part of our discussion is like well maybe if we did share this kind of stuff it might be helpful to others Mm -hmm. well and it is motivational Monday this is the segment that we brought you in because Uh I think it really is important there are probably a lot of people listening out there and so if you can even touch one person who maybe you know lost their job because of the current situation we're in in the world or you know it's time to retire but you're still young and you're feeling ready to go and there's more to you to give you know what's the motivation Trish that you can kind of share with people even if it affects one person who's listening right now well and and I think we've had a little a little test on that very thing. We've been able to to launch out to friends and family and 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 people that we've run in, run into in the last little while, and it certainly has been very emotional for some people just to open the book and go, "Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being honest and putting it out there and and helping us relate." Because both Karina and I said, "You know, we could we could write a journal. We could put everything down here, all these interesting stories and observations, and it could just be our own kind of healing book." It has to resonate with people. It has to have value to it. And so when we finally had all of these stories written, does this make a book? Is it something that people will actually pick up, not as a self-help book, but as a companion to a bit of a a daunting journey? And so we realized that a lot of these stories actually showed in different parts of, of the steps that we were making forward. And 
But I think this is going to actually come together in something that people will look at and say, you just almost appreciate the fact that someone is acknowledging something mm. that they are afraid to. So we've had that feedback from people that have lost jobs, people that have changed roles in life, mm -hmm. um, young moms who are now going back to work. So it's not just career specifically like it was for us. It's also just change. So it's interesting because, yeah, we got the two perspectives from the retirement, from the choice, from the, whoa, this is not my choice, uh, Corrine. So uh, in the, the same way that uh, Sue put the question to Trish, uh, if you could talk to somebody right now who might be listening, who lost their job unexpectedly last week or last month or a couple months ago, what would you say to them? What's your nugget? I would say to give yourself just a little bit of time. I mean, you start kind of almost beating yourself up really quick and go, okay, I got to find, I got to find, what am I going to do? I, I, how, you know, you mentioned resumes. I hadn't written a resume in years, right? And so you, you need to give yourself a little bit of space. But then I found that um, sort of going to your happy place. So to, to me, that was sit in front of the water, go to go in the river, go mm -hmm. to the, anywhere to a lake and uh, bring pen and paper and just kind of sit and think about, okay, this is, this is a bit of a shock, but it could also be a real opportunity. And you start to think, I have time now. What could I do with that time? What could I, how could I spend that time? And, and I think the other important thing is other people were still seeing both Trish and I with a level of expertise that we seem to have forgotten that we had, right? right? Mm -hmm. So you You've go- you earned that. We, you know, so I, I was uh, introduced to a teaching job at the university and, and I thought, but I'm not a teacher. And, and they said, no, but you have all the background and you, you, can, you can share that. So that nugget might be something that you're not even thinking you have, right? Wow. So you need, you need to go sit quietly and, and, and build a, a list of, for yourself and things that you want to do, things that you know that you can do. And then sometimes that kind of morphs into something that you really want to do. I love it. Be open to it. Think about your passion project. What, what, what might have you been putting off for years and now you've got time to do it? And that, you know, is your next transition. I love it. The book is called It's Just a Hiccup, Reclaiming Your Identity. Can we get it online? Where do we get the book? Dragonflybear.ca. Okay. That is our website. And you can pop in there, read a little bit more about it learn a little bit more about us, and that's how you can purchase the book. Dragonflybear.ca. Love Makes it. Makes it easy. Thank you so much for coming in, ladies. We very much appreciate it. Perfect for those who mm -hmm. are going through some transition. Trish Axton-Parter and uh, Kareen Wilkinson, co-authors. It's just a hiccup, reclaiming your identity.